Paul the Apostle, in his final word, his last letter that he ever wrote, which was written to a disciple of his by the name of Timothy, he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, that in the last days, perilous times would come. I think as we look at all the things that are happening in the world, we can see very clearly that we are living in perilous times, especially over the last couple of years. We had the chaos of everything that happened with COVID, which although it's not at the top of the news headlines and it's not on every single person's mind as the mask mandates have been lifted in most places, especially here in Southern California, it's not something that we're necessarily thinking a lot about, but it doesn't mean that it's not still a major issue. But COVID came kind of out of left field. Things were seemingly going pretty well and then out of left field came COVID. And so the last two years have been chaotic because of those things. But now here at the beginning of 2022, we are all seeing what's happening in the world, especially in Ukraine and with Russia, other things happening in places like Asia throughout China with Taiwan, questionable things about how all of this is going to kind of shake out. And then economic issues here in the United States. This last week, the Federal Reserve in the United States, they began increasing interest rates, just a very small increase in interest rates so far, but that's certain to probably continue over the next months. But we see inflation and gas prices super high, and there's a, a lot of pressure and a lot of things that are chaotic in the world and challenging things, which causes people, whether you are a follower of God or not, to be a little concerned and stressed, anxious. And oftentimes when we see those things going on, we return to passages of scripture that encourage us to set our minds on things above, to let not our hearts be troubled. But I think it is interesting to consider what Paul says there in First Timothy, actually Second Timothy chapter three, in the last days, perilous times will come. And he gives a number of things that will indicate that we are living in perilous times. Things like people being lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness or religion, but denying the power thereof. So I think looking at those things, you could say we're certainly living in times like that, perilous times in the last days. Potentially, that is the time that we are living in. And I think that the passages of scripture that we have been going through together here on Sunday mornings at Cross Connection Church, going through the book of Deuteronomy, they are appropriate passages of scripture for us to be reminded of how we ought to live at times like this. And not just times like this, but how we ought to live as the people of God in a broken and fallen world. In my message last time, I made the point that my standing as a child of God means that I ought to live differently in the world than I did before I was adopted into the family of God. Specifically in my message last week, I said that as a child of God, I am no longer the Lord or master of what I do to my body or maybe what I do with my body, and then also what I put into my body. And I believe that these are important points, important truths. But as I said last time, these are challenging principles to apply in our lives. The idea that I am not my own, that my body is the possession of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. These truly are countercultural and challenging truths, realities. The culture that we live in 
esteems above probably every other value, more than anything, individual autonomy. And that is like the most important thing in our culture. Now, don't get me wrong. I am as much a product of Western culture in the 21st century, late 20th century, 21st century, as most of you are. I happen to like my liberties. In fact, there have been a lot of times over the last couple of years where I have really uh, resisted the things that have been happening in our culture because there is the feeling, and I think a lot of people experience this, of like not having the same kind of liberties that you even maybe had 36 months ago. I'm a pretty independent person. I'm sure you probably are as well. And I find myself quite resistant when I feel that my liberties are being violated or infringed. But when I became a child of God and Christ became my master and my Lord, there are some things that invariably need to change. Specifically, my body is no longer my own. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures say. I am not my own. I have been purchased with a price. That's exactly what we saw in the scriptures last week. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. He says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The therefore of this passage there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 is very important. I have been purchased with a price. My body is not my own. Therefore, we're told there, as a result of this, I ought to glorify God in my body and in my spirit, which God holds. Those, this is God's possession. So this is countercultural. It goes against the mindset and the philosophy, the ethos, the narrative, and even the teaching of our culture. Just about everything in American culture in the 21st century, in Western culture in the 21st century, but especially in the United States of America. And the, the epicenter of that oftentimes is here in California, or at least on the West Coast. But here in the epicenter of Western culture in California, Southern California, this is the mindset that really is in every single one of us. We're all affected by it to some degree or level. But when Jesus is my Lord and he is the master of my life, that means that Jesus gets a say in what I do to my body and with my body and what I put into my body. That's what we talked about last week. And after I talked about that, I had a number of very good and interesting conversations with people over the last week that resulted from that message, came about from that message. Everything from issues dealing with drinking alcohol, to issues of consuming sugar, issues of partaking of marijuana, issues having to do with pornography or gambling, and then not just the actual aspects of those specific things, but maybe working in certain industries or jobs that are connected with some of those things. There's a lot of questions that people have about that sort of stuff. So these are the issues surrounding a question that I've thrown out before to the church that actually is the title of a book from a Christian apologist who you know lived a number of decades ago at the end of the 20th century. And um, that Christian apologist was a man named Francis Schaeffer, and he wrote a book a number of years ago called How Shall We Then Live? Now, the book has a lot that, it goes into a lot of different things, but just that question is important. And as a Christian, 
we really do need to ask that question probably frequently. It needs to be a regular thing that I'm asking myself as a child of God, as a follower of Christ, he is my Lord and my master. We need to ask ourselves, how shall we then live? Especially as our culture diverges further away from a Bible and Christianity informed culture. That's exactly what is happening in our culture. You know, there are a lot of people who talk about Western culture, which would be Western Europe, the United States, North America, um, entirely Canada and, and Australia, that these places come from, you know, have deeply ingrained a Judeo-Christian worldview. But our culture is less and less Christianity and Bible informed. And so as a result of that, when that is happening and you, if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, you're in the midst of this culture, you have to ask yourself, how shall we then live as we are in a sense, like the exiles of the children of Israel living in Babylon during their, their time exiled from their promised land. They were in a carnal pagan culture and yet they were called by God and the prophets of God to live as the people of God in that place. And that's what, what you need to do. That's what I need to do. How shall we then live? So today we're going to continue with some countercultural and challenging ideas, picking up exactly where we left off last time in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 14, where we read these words in Deuteronomy chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. Okay, again, this is countercultural, challenging truths that we're going to be reading here in this passage that are for the people of God, the children of God. And for some of you, you just had kind of a, a triggering shock of terror when you heard me mention that word tithing. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh great, here we go. The pastor is going to talk about money and tithing. And I, I somewhat understand that response because there is a perception among many people, especially those who either don't go to church or no longer go to church. There is a perception among many people that pastors and churches, they really only ever talk about money. And I have seen the appeals on Christian TV or on Christian YouTube, if you will. And I use the word Christian very loosely when I say Christian TV or Christian YouTube. I've seen the appeals. There are ways in which ministries and ministers talk about money and this issue of tithing that we're going to be talking about today. And they make it sound like a plea for help as if God were poor and the ministry was dying. And with that in mind, I want to say three things as we get into this teaching today, thinking about some of the principles having to do with, with money and tithing. Three things that I think are really important to think about. First, God is not poor. God does not need my money. The Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means that the earth and everything in it belongs to God. It is God's possession. It also says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In fact, the actual wording where we read those words, that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, it is spectacular. God says this in Psalm 50, verse 9. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. The psalmist there makes it very, very clear, or God speaking through the psalmist. God is not poor. He does not need my money. 
So this is very, very clear. We, we need to get that out of the way right at the front end. When, whenever a pastor who is a biblically consistent pastor, and hopefully that's what we're doing here at Cross Connection Church, is just going through the scriptures and letting the scriptures speak. That's our goal. But when a biblically focused, sound teaching pastor is teaching about money, it needs to be stated that God is not poor. He doesn't need my money. That's the first thing. Second thing, the Bible speaks a lot about money, wealth, and possessions. And it talks about this issue of tithing, as we're going to see today. Far more does the Bible speak about it than we actually do here at Cross Connection Church. But the Bible speaks about these things not because God is so focused on or absorbed with money and wealth and possessions, but God knows that I can be absorbed with money, wealth, and possessions. My focus can shift to those things. Money, wealth, and possessions can quickly become the master and mastering passion of our lives. This is a real danger. Jesus even spoke to this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He said in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We will come back to that idea there from the Sermon on the Mount later on, but it is an important thing to remember. In fact, because the Bible has so much to say on the subject of money, wealth, possessions, and giving, and all of these things, I will say that it is important that we learn this very key truth as the children of God, as the followers of God. Point number one, as a child of God, my father has a say in how I see my money and how I prioritize my spending. That is a very important thing for us to understand, that God has a say and how I see my money and how I prioritize my spending. Last week we saw that being a child of God means that I'm no longer the master and the Lord of what I do to my body or what I put into my body. And this week we are going to see that God, as my father, he has something to say about what I do with my wealth. And that is a difficult one for many people in America in 2022. But it is true if you are a child of God. If you are a follower of God, you're a child of God, you've been adopted into his family, then that means that God is your father and he has something to say about what you do with your body, what you put into your body, and what you do with your money. And listen, I, I think this is not only true, but I want to suggest to you that this is also good for you, or it will go well with you if you recognize that God has something to say about your money and you begin to walk in step with him as it relates to these things. Look at what we read in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The great wise King Solomon wrote this, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Look at this verse 10. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So it is not only true that God has some things to say about how we use our wealth and how we use our money, but it is also true that if you follow his prescription, if you will, if you follow his way on these things, it will go well with you. It will go well for you. Things will work out better if you follow God's way than if you follow the way of the United States of America in 2021. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all of your increase, and it will go well with you. Your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. So I said, there were three things that I needed to kind of point out before we jump into this. The third thing is that we don't talk about these topics having to do with money, wealth, tithing, giving here at Cross Connection Church all the time. It's not something we bring up constantly. But when we do talk about money, 
if what we say challenges you or perhaps it grates at you, you should consider doing one of two things or maybe both of these things. First, you should ask if God has something that he is trying to teach you on the subject. Maybe if it bothers you when a pastor who really does hold to sound doctrine and teaches faithfully the Bible, when they bring up what the Bible has to say about money and wealth and finances and giving, if that grates at you, if that kind of gets under your skin, then you, you really should ask the question, God, are you trying to speak to me about this? Is there something you want to teach me on this subject? That's the first thing you should consider. Or if this bothers you when the pastor brings it up, um, come and talk with me or come and talk with Pastor Mark, our executive pastor, about your thoughts on this subject. I'd love to talk with you about this. If you have some things you want to uh, go deeper on this, you can send a text message to our question and answer text line or you can send an email here to the church or come down here on a Sunday morning and, and you know meet with one of the pastors, talk with us. And we'd love to talk with you about these things. But I am going to say this, and I'm not saying this to upset or bother you. In my experience, those who get really upset when biblically faithful pastors take the scriptures and speak about what the scriptures say about money, possessions, and wealth, those who get upset about that generally are the ones to whom God is wanting to speak about their relationship to their money and to their wealth and their possessions. Now with that all kind of out of the way as something of a preface to what we're going to look at, we read just a moment ago there in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 1, there, or I'm sorry, verse 22, there Moses says, you shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. This isn't the first time that we've seen this word tithed used in our study of Deuteronomy. In fact, just a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 12, we read these words in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all of your tribes to put his name for a dwelling place. And there you shall go. And there you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes. There's that word the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. So that word tithe, what, what exactly is the tithe? What does it mean when we read those words about the tithe in the book of Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter 12, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22, again we see it. What does it mean? Well, simply, the word tithe means a tenth part, or like 10%. In the book of Leviticus, we read there about the tithe as well. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, we see this. And all the tithe of the land, all the tenth part of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, all the tithe of the land is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So what this means is that whatever I bring in year by year, and understand the children of Israel Thousands of years ago, when they came into the promised land, they were an agrarian society. They were a, a society of farmers and herdsmen, and their livelihood was producing the food that they ate from their vineyards and from their groves and from their fields, and all of that was going to support the people and then their herds as well. So they were an agrarian farming society. And, and when we read about the tithe of the land, of the trees, of the fields, of the flock, what we're talking about here is that a tenth part of everything that they brought in annually, year by year, as it relates to the increase of their goods, 10% of that belonged to the Lord. It was dedicated to him or consecrated to him. When we read there in Leviticus 27 verse 30, 
that the tithe is holy to the Lord. That word holy means dedicated or consecrated. That is, it does not belong to me. That, that 10% of whatever comes in annually to me of the increase of my goods, it is not mine. Now, at that point, you say, wait a minute, I worked for it. It is my money. <laughs> that's, that's the way that we looked at, look at things. I worked hard for this. I went to school to get this education, or I went to this trade school to learn how to weld, or whatever it may be, and I worked really hard for this money. So it's my money. Well, on that point, hold up for just a moment. Kind of not so fast. Look at what we read previously in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Reading from verse 11 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, we read this. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Beware, verse 11 of Deuteronomy chapter 8 says that you do not forget the Lord your God. Skip down to verse 17. And then you say in your heart, because you've forgotten the Lord your God, my power, the might of my hand, have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. That is a powerful statement. Beware that you don't forget the Lord. And in your forgetfulness, you say, it is me, by my might, by my hand, by my power, that I have done this. I have made myself wealthy. It's my work. It's my job. It's my education. It's my abilities and talents. It's all me, 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 mine. And so all of my wealth is mine. Because what we read there is that it is God who has actually given you the ability, the talent, the power, all of those things. God has given you those things to earn wealth. Now, listen, I won't hold it against you. If you find yourself wrestling with the concepts and truths that we find here in Deuteronomy, these are challenging principles to learn and to apply in our lives, put them into practice. But they are important principles to learn. And, and here is a, a tough principle to wrap our minds around. For some, tough principle. As a member of God's family, I should recognize that the tithe is not my money, but his. The 10%. 10% of everything that I bring in annually, or both my wife and I, 10% of the increase of our goods every single year, that is not mine. If I'm a child of God, as a member of God's family, I should recognize that that 10%, that 10th part, it is not mine, but God's. So Solomon, the great wise king of Israel, he says, honor the Lord with your first fruits of all of your increase. The, the very first 10% is the Lord. And Moses commanded, you shall, sh you shall truly tithe all the increase year by year. It's interesting that it says truly tithe. And what that is, is it's emphasizing the word tithe. Because if you look at this in the original language in the Hebrew, the word for tithe, it's duplicated. It's twice there. So it's saying you shall truly tithe all the increase year by year because the tithe is holy to the Lord. It belongs to him. So what is the tithe? The tithe is a tenth part of all of the increase that I bring in annually, that belongs to the Lord. It is not mine. But why should I tithe? I know what it is, but why should I give that over to the Lord? Isn't this just an old covenant thing for Israel? I'm a Christian. I'm a new covenant believer. I'm in Christ. I am not under the Levitical system. I'm not under the Torah, under the law. Well, the tithe certainly is or was a part of the Old Covenant. We read about it in Exodus. We read about it in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. That's all Torah. That's all Old Covenant. But it is really important to recognize and understand that the tithe preceded the law 
it began all the way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham, the father of the Jewish people and the father of all of those who believe. Abraham, he spent time with this mysterious character in Genesis chapter 14 called Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem and we're told in Genesis 14 that he was the priest of the most high God. And in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham has like communion with him. He has fellowship with him. Melchizedek comes out and brings bread and wine and he sits down and has a meal with Abraham. And as Abraham is with Melchizedek, Melchizedek blesses Abraham. So it's always the greater who blesses the less great, shall you say. So Melchizedek is this great individual, very mysterious, a lot of different disagreements, if you will, among Christians about who Melchizedek really was. I got my opinions, but I'm not going to go into that today. This isn't a study on Melchizedek. So Melchizedek, he blesses Abraham in Genesis chapter 14. And then we read in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, that Abraham gave to Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, he gave him a tithe, a tenth part of all. So although the tithe is emphasized in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, in the Torah, in the Old Covenant, although the tithe is emphasized in the law, the tithe also preceded the law. And not only that, the tithe carries over into the New Covenant, into the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus taught that we should maintain the tithe when he said this, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done. You ought to have done justice, mercy and faith without leaving the others, the tithe, undone. What, what does this mean? Well, the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus's day, they were the most religious individuals in all of Israel. And they made a huge show of their righteousness, their religious righteousness. They went to crazy extremes around their religious adherence to things like the tithe, even to the most minute and, and really insane and goofy levels that it was almost as if they were tithing on their spices, like nine for God or nine for me and one for God. So Jesus, he chastises them for their hypocrisy because though they kept up with the religious ritualistic practices, like tithing on the smallest little things, they weren't exactly commendable in other bigger issues in their lives, issues like mercy and justice and faithfulness. So Jesus says to them, you should not neglect the weightier matters of the law by being just and righteous and merciful and, and faithful to other people. So you should keep those things, but you should also keep the tithe as well. So Jesus commends or recommends, if you will, the tithe. He says that, no, we need to continue that. We see it other places. We'll see in the New Testament from the teaching of the apostles as well. Also in the New Testament, we read this from Jesus, very powerful statement we find in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. The Apostle Paul says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So what is the tithe? It is the first tenth of all of my increase, all of my earnings. That is the tithe. And why should I tithe? Because the scriptures teach both Old Testament, New Testament, from the Old Testament to the New, that the first tenth of all of my increase, 
it does not belong to me. It's not mine. So it belongs to the Lord. It is the Lord's, which means as a blessed child of God, I ought to give the first fruits of all of my labor back to the Lord. Has God blessed you? He has certainly blessed me. He has saved me and he has forgiven me. He has redeemed me. He has adopted me into his family. He provides for me, protects me. He has given me the ability and the capacity to earn wealth, like we saw back there in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Therefore, because of all this, I ought to give the first fruits of all of my labor back to the Lord. And I say back to the Lord because it all belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The first fruits belong to the Lord. It is not my money. So Moses says this, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Notice that Moses commands that you shall eat before the Lord in the place where he chooses. As he's talking about the tithe, that we're going to be giving this 10th part to the Lord, he says, you shall eat before the Lord in the place where he chooses. What, what on earth is going on here? Well, in this passage, you're going to see that when the children of Israel bring the tithe to the Lord, there is some sort of feast that's going on. And we're going to see in a few weeks when we get to Deuteronomy chapter 16 that the children of Israel, they observed annual feasts together as a nation before the Lord every single year. There were seven feasts of the Lord that came at three different times of the year. Now, we do not have the same thing today in, in the, the church, within the body of Christ. We don't have the same feasts. But the feasts of the children of Israel, they were all around the harvest times in Israel. And again, Israel was an agrarian society. So it would be that at these feasts, the people would bring up the tithe to the Lord, a tenth part of all that they brought in from their flocks and their herds, from their vineyards, from their fields, from their groves, all the stuff that they brought in at the harvest times. They would have the spring feasts, the early summer feasts, and the fall feasts, all at these different times of the harvest. So they'd bring the harvest, they would bring it up to the Lord as a tithe to the Lord. And what we see here is that these, this tithe of Israel, it was connected to a joyful time of celebration. The tithe should not be a downer. It should be something that you, you look forward to. It should not be something that you despise or you do begrudgingly. The tithe is a joyful response of worship when the harvest comes in. Now, I'm not a farmer. It's likely that you're probably not a farmer. Maybe you are. You probably don't get your livelihood by, you know, taking care of herds and flocks or taking care of fields and vineyards and all this sort of stuff. It's probably not your job. But when your harvest comes in and my harvest comes in, for me, I get paid a couple times a month. On the middle of the month, the end of the month, I get paid twice a month. Maybe you get the same thing. Maybe you get paid every single week, whatever it is. When I get paid, it's like bringing in a harvest. You're bringing in a harvest. And the first fruits of my harvest the first 10%, the tithe, is given back to the Lord as a worshipful, joyful response for the harvest that has come in. Because I have the ability to earn wages. You have the ability to earn an income because God has given you that ability. And so 
I get to keep 90% of it, but I give 10% of it back to the Lord as a joyful response of worship for all that has come in. It is the moment that you give back thanks to God for all that he has blessed you with. And when you come to give to God, it should be a joyful celebration. And let me tell you, there is nothing like seeing this take place in, in other parts of the world like I have before in Africa. Twice I have had the privilege of traveling to Mozambique and doing ministry there with a ministry that we've been connected to here for a very long time called Cross Connection and Outreach. And while I was in Mozambique both, both times, on a number of occasions, we went to church services out in the middle of the bush. We would drive hours and hours and hours out in the middle of the bush on bumpy roads, standing in the back of a truck. And then we would go to the church service. And uh, several times I got to teach and preach at these church services. And at each one of these church services, which would last for like two and a half, three hours, like they make our church services here, which are like 75 minutes long, they make them look like child's play. They would gather together, they would exuberantly sing worship and dance and then they would bring in the offering and bringing in the offering in a bush church in Mozambique is one of the most beautiful and amazing things to see because it was a celebration there was all kinds of excitement and people would come up to the front and lay on the table the altar they would bring their offering to the Lord to the church and oftentimes it was not just money. Some, some money would be brought up, but it was also live chickens and produce that they had harvested from their fields. And it was a beautiful thing. And there was great joy involved in it. And that kind of joy that we read about here in Deuteronomy chapter 14 is the kind of joy that God wants us to have when we give our offering and our tithe to the Lord. It is a joyful expression of worship to God for all that he has given to us. We give a tenth part to him. The Apostle Paul, when he is teaching on this very same principle in the New Testament, he's writing to the Christians in the city of Corinth about receiving an offering and a tithe. He writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So the person who gives sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he proposes in his heart to do so, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now that word cheerful there in 2 Corinthians is a beautiful word. In the original language written in Hebrew, it is the Greek word hilaros. And it is the same, it's connected to our English word hilarious. And so what Paul is saying there is that you ought not give to the Lord begrudgingly or out of necessity. You should not feel pressured or forced to give. You should give, if you're going to give, give cheerfully. Give with a hilarious heart. And in this, all, all to say this, when we gather together to worship and praise the Lord, part of our worship ought to be a joyful offering to God, giving back to God a portion of what he has given to us, to me. My father desires that my gift would be a joyful offering. Listen, if you're a lady, if, you're, if your husband came home from work tomorrow and he walked through the door and let's just say that it was your anniversary and he, he handed you flowers and he handed you a gift 
and he had no joyful emotion, just kind of deadpan look on his face. And he said, I, I'm giving you this because I'm obligated to do so because you're my wife and it is our anniversary, so I'm obligated to give this to you. Would you want that gift? I am, I'm certain you would not. You would not want that gift. And our Father in heaven, he desires that our gift that we give to him would be a joyful offering. So Moses says, you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. And you shall tithe your grain and your new wine and your oil, the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Bringing our offering to the Lord, the tenth part of all of our increase, we see there in those last words that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. When I bring my offering to the Lord, it helps me to have a right and proper reverence for God. Listen, how you use your wealth, how you use your money, your income, it reveals your priorities and your values. When we first begin to walk with the Lord, it is highly likely that our values and priorities are disordered and misplaced. They are out of whack. So I need to reorder and replace my values and my priorities. And, and doing that involves having a proper understanding or perspective of, of wealth and money that this belongs to the Lord. He has given me the ability, the power to earn these things. So that brings us finally to this. We have talked about what the tithe is. We have talked about why we tithe. Finally, let, let me finish today with how we practically apply this in our lives. How do we do this thing called tithing? Now, Moses, in the remainder of Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 24 through 28, he gives the details for how Israel would bring in the tithe and celebrate the offerings as they would bring it up to the Lord at the times of the feast, the three times a year that they would go up to the Lord. He gives the times and the amounts and all the details for how it would work. And it, you find that it wasn't just 10%, but we're not going to go into that today. There are, there are three different tithes that are spoken of in the scriptures, it seems, in the Old Testament. And they total more than 10%. But Moses gives Israel the way in which they ought to bring the tithe to the Lord here in this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 28. So we don't live at that time in that agrarian society under the Levitical law. We live in a different place at a different time under the new covenant, not under the old covenant. So if the tithe is not just from the law, if it preceded the law in Genesis and it extends after the law in the new covenant, how do we, New Testament Christians, how do we apply this principle of the tithe? To answer that, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bible, to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, very last chapter of 1 Corinthians, and look at chapter 16, because this gives us the perfect details for all of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, we read these words from the Apostle Paul. Now concerning the collections for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay up something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. This passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, it gives us the perfectly clear details for how the collection of the saints or how the offering was going to brought in. All of the pertinent details of the what, where, when, who, how, why of the tithe, they are all here. So... What, what is it that Paul is talking about here? He says, we're talking about the collection for the saints. 
the collection for the saints, which is the offering or the tithe. He, he answers the question, where is it practiced? Notice that he says, the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. The church that Paul was writing to in Corinth, it was in the city of Corinth in the region of, of Greece. And so Paul is writing to those Christians and he's probably in the region of Galatia, which is uh, across the Aegean Sea from there, going east uh, into what we know of today as, as Turkey. So Paul's in Western Turkey. He's among the churches in Galatia. He writes to the Christians who are over there in Greece. And he says, listen, I've told them to do this in Galatia. I'm telling you to do this in, in Greece. So this is for all of the churches. So what is it he's talking about? It's the collection for the saints, that is the tithe. And it is to be practiced by, by, or where is it practiced? In all of the churches. When is it to be received? He says in the passage, on the first day of the week. It's to be received every single time that the church would gather. The church in the New Testament would gather on the first day of the week, just like we do here at Cross Connection Church on Sunday. That's the first day of the week. So he says, on the first day of the week at all of the churches, you're to receive the collection for the saints, the offering. He answers the question, who is to give here in this verse? He says, let each one of you. Th this is for all of us. This isn't just for some special select group of people in the family of God. It's for all people that bring in any fruit of their increase, if you will. Let each one of you. It's not just for a small group. All of us are involved. He, he answers the question, what are we to do? What are we to do with this whole thing? Well, each of us, he says, lay something aside, storing up. What that means is that all of us should plan an amount to lay aside, to consecrate, dedicate, to give to the Lord. And then he answers the question, how are we to give? Notice what he says, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. However God has prospered you, you ought to give from your abundance. This brings up a question, I've had conversations with people before where it's like, well, I don't have any money, I can't give. Well, if you don't have anything, you can't give. But if you have an abundance, meaning you have brought in anything, the first tenth of it from your abundance in proportion to what you have, you should store it up to give as he may prosper. Why should we give? Notice what Paul says in this passage, that there be no collections when I come, so that there is no lack, so that everything is provided for. It is all right there. Everything that I need to know about the who, what, when, where, why, how of giving, of giving the tithe is all right there in this passage. Now, I've covered a lot today. There's a lot of different things that I've gone over in this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 14. Uh, but before we close, I, I think it is really important to see how Paul closes this passage. Moses closes his teaching on tithing by saying, in this passage, we, we saw at the opening verse in verse 22, you shall truly tithe all your increase of your grain year by year. But then he ends this in verse 29 by saying these words, you shall surely tithe all the increase of your grain year by year, verse 22, verse 29, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. Notice this point. This is critically important. Our father blesses those who truly honor him with their increase and their abundance. God will bless you as you truly tithe, as you truly honor the Lord with the increase of your abundance. Now, this is a really difficult point. And I say that this is a really difficult point, not because this is challenging to me, but because while I believe that this is absolutely biblically and theologically true, 
this truth has been used in an incorrect way to take advantage of God's people. In the name of God, there have been some ministries, some Christian TV personalities who I think have used this truth. This is absolutely true. God blesses those who truly honor him with the increase of their abundance. That is true. That's what the Bible teaches. But there have been some people who have used this in an incorrect manner to take advantage of God's people. And those who use these truths to take advantage of the people of God are robbing God and they will answer to God for their exploitation. I believe that wholeheartedly. But though there are people who use this truth in an unrighteous manner, it does not lessen the truth of this truth, the veracity of this truth. God blesses those who truly honor him with their increase and their abundance. Jesus taught this in Luke's gospel we read in Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Not just the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, but the words of the prophet Malachi in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. This is powerful. Malachi says to the people of God this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, says the Lord. And try me now in this. Note this. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Hear me on this. I am not saying this so that you will have your arm twisted to give more. But I do think that you should give more. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, I do think that you should give more. You should give more because at the very least, the tithe is the Lord's. It does not belong to you. You should give more because God has commanded it. You should give more because it is more blessed to give than to receive. You should give more because... It will shift your values and your priorities such that they will be properly aligned with God's priorities and values. But I also think that you should also give more because God loves a cheerful giver and he will bless you as you give to his kingdom. I have learned this truth experientially myself. Throughout my adult life, I have always given at least the tithe to the Lord. And my wife and I, we've given above and beyond the tithe. But we have always committed ourselves to giving the tithe of our first fruits, the first fruits of all of our increase to the Lord. The first 10% of every check that comes in. Both my wife and me, we got paid this last week. The first 10% goes to the Lord. And I have witnessed firsthand the way in which the Lord has blessed my family and I. My wife and I have an amazingly blessed life, far more than I could ever have imagined. And I am 100% convinced that it is because we have our values and our priorities rightly aligned. And they are values and priorities that are aligned to honor God with our first fruits. Remember what Samson wrote in Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. God has blessed my wife and I in ways that still blow my mind. I have more abundance and wealth now than I ever could have imagined when I was a kid or even in my early adult life. And this is not because I am paid some huge salary, though I am blessed by what I am paid. 
I believe that this has everything to do with the fact that Andrea and I, my wife and I, we have handled our finances in a way that honors the Lord, which we're going to talk about more next week because we're going to talk about how we handle our finances, not just the tithe, but our, our wealth. How do we handle that? And, and my wife and I, we've handled those in a way that honors God and we have worked hard and we have given generously. And the Lord said, test me in this and see if I will not pour out on you such a blessing that you, there will be not, not enough room for you to receive the blessing. And as far as I have been able to tell, that is the only time in the scriptures where God explicitly says, test me and see. And you might want to take him up on that offer because the tithe is the Lord's. And so it comes down to you and I, how are we using that 10%, that first 10% that belongs to the Lord. And if you're not contributing to him and his kingdom, and if you're a part of Cross Connection Church, part of that, or at least the whole of it, for me, it goes to the church that I am a part of, the local church I'm a part of. And I would encourage you to do that. And as you honor God in this, and you reorder your values and your priorities, you will see, I am convinced of it, you will see your life change for the better as it relates to these things. We have to be very careful as it relates to money. The scriptures say that the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. And those who have committed themselves to seeking after that, they oftentimes find themselves pierced through with all kinds of sorrows. The scriptures make very clear in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve two masters. You will either serve God or you will serve money, mammon. You cannot serve both of those things. And where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So it's very important that we get the values and priorities correct as it relates to these things because it will change the way you live as a Christian, as a child of God in this world. Very important truths. Father God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word having to do with these issues and you would use your word to transform us in a way that brings you praise, honor, and glory. Our lives, our bodies, our money, it's not ours, it's yours. And so help us to glorify you with all of these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.